Welcome to A Page of Science. Today we'll be reading Introduction to Quantum Mechanics by David J. Griffiths. Copyright 1995 by Prentice Hall, Incorporated. Page 175, Section 5.1.1, Bosons and Fermions. Suppose particle 1 is in the one particle state, psi A of R, and particle 2 is in the state, psi B of R. In that case, psi R1 R2 is a simple product. Psi R1 R2 equals Psi A of R1 times Psi B of R2. Of course, this assumes that we can tell the particles apart. Otherwise, it wouldn't make any sense to claim that number 1 is in state Psi A and number 2 is in state Psi B. All we could say is that one of them is in the state Psi A and the other is in state Psi B, but we wouldn't know which is which. If we were talking about classical mechanics, this would be a silly objection. You can always tell the particles apart, in principle. Just paint one of them red and the other one blue, or stamp identification numbers on them, or hire private detectives to follow them around. But in quantum mechanics, the situation is fundamentally different. You can't paint an electron red or pin a label on it, and a detective's observations will inevitably and unpredictably alter the state, raising doubts as to whether the two had perhaps switched places. In fact, all electrons are utterly identical, in a way that no two classical objects can ever be. It is not merely that we don't happen to know which electron is which. God doesn't know which electron is which, because there is no such thing as this electron or that electron. All we can legitimately speak of is an electron. Quantum mechanics neatly accommodates the existence of particles that are indistinguishable in principle. We simply construct a wave function that is non-committal as to which particle is in which state. There are actually two ways to do it. Psi plus or minus R1, R2 equals A times the quantity Psi A, R1, Psi B, R2 plus or minus Psi B, R1, Psi A, R2. Thus the theory admits two kinds of identical particles, bosons, for which we use the plus sign, and fermions, for which we use the minus sign. Photons and mesons are bosons. Protons and electrons are fermions. It so happens that all particles with integer spin are bosons, and all particles with half-integer spins are fermions. This connection between spin and statistics, as we shall see, bosons and fermions have quite different statistical properties, can be proved in relativistic quantum mechanics. In the non-relativistic theory, it must be taken as an axiom. It follows, in particular, that two identical fermions, for example, two electrons, cannot occupy the same space. For if psi A equals psi B, then psi minus R1, R2 equals A times the quantity psi A, R1, psi A, R2 minus psi A, R1, psi A, R2 equals zero. And we are left with no wave function at all. This is the famous Pauli exclusion principle. It is not, as you may have been led to believe, a bizarre ad hoc assumption applying only to electrons but rather a consequence of the rules for constructing two-particle wave functions applying to all identical fermions. As weird as this will sound, there is no science writer more well-liked among undergraduate physics students than David Griffiths. He wrote three textbooks commonly used in introductory physics class. This Introduction to Quantum Mechanics is one, he also wrote an electromagnetism book, and he wrote a particle physics book. Griffith's method of writing, as you probably could tell from 
what I just read, is very conversational. It's very basic language. He uses the terms of science, but in a tone that can be grasped by the layman because it's intended for second or third year physics students getting an undergraduate degree. Because of that, physics students love Griffith's textbooks because they're so much more readable than basically every other textbook that they're handed by a physics department. So what you read there is the basic understanding of where the Pauli exclusion principle comes from uh, that is taught to introductory physics students. What's interesting about the Pauli exclusion principle is it's a rule of the universe that says that fermions, and we can stick to just talking about electrons, uh, the negatively charged particles that make up the atoms when we're talking about fermions, fermions cannot occupy the same energy state. So that's a pretty complicated concept, but we can think of it in part as meaning they cannot occupy the same space. And when two electrons get close to one another, they cannot have the same energy. So one of the electrons must move to a higher or lower energy than the other one if they are or were at the same energy level. Let's think about what this actually means and how it manifests in the universe. The Pauli exclusion principle, is it a, a law that cannot be broken, like the speed of light having a specific value, that nothing can go faster than the speed of light? Or is it more of a rule that has a limit to its applicability? It turns out that it's the latter. The Pauli exclusion principle generates what is effectively a pressure. If you have a cloud of electrons that are basically a gas and you press them hard enough together, and we're talking like the pressures that are in the cores of stars, there is actually a limit to how much pressure they can resist. And in 1930, a 19-year-old Indian physicist named Chandrashankar developed what we now call the Chandrashankar limit. It was initially dismissed by other scientists in the community because if the Chandrashankar limit was real, that would imply the existence of black holes, which was something that was too preposterous to believe could exist. The Chandrashankar limit says if you have a star which is above a certain mass and it begins to collapse because fusion has ended. The only thing that will stop it from collapsing all the way is this degeneracy pressure, which comes from the Pauli exclusion principle. It turns out that we now know by observing black holes and by observing the mass of white dwarf stars and other stellar masses that the Chandrashankar limit is real and that the last guard before a star becomes a black hole is an effect of the Pauli exclusion principle. So here we have a principle of quantum mechanics, which studies the smallest effects in our universe that has an implication that affects the largest, most massive objects in our universe. And I find that really amazing. Normally, it's a little hard to make a connection from the smallest scales to the largest scales. But here we have that, which starts from a principle that's taught to second or third year scientists in college. 
I'm Dr. Andy, and I've been your host for A Page of Science. Go to soundcloud.com slash a page of science for more.